I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joined for our North London Derby preview by the one, the only Mike Stavrou. Mike, how you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Harry, you're too big time for us now. Honestly, he's texting me saying, you know, sorry, mate, I'm going to have to push it back. I'm on Sky Sports <laughs> News, all of this, all of Did this, you, um... so, you know. Uh, we've got to talk about it in the show. I, I said to you that we mm. weren't going to talk about it because I, I don't really like doing combined 11s. Um, but Sky asked me to do one and I knew that the Tottenham one was going to be so Tottenham heavy and so biased. Yeah. That I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to hold back on mine either. And I want to share mine with you and see uh, right. what your thoughts are. Um, because, yeah, um, I, I'm going to get quite a bit of stick on social media. I can imagine. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, okay, look, on this edition of the show, we are going to be looking ahead to that huge, huge game coming up tomorrow night uh, at the Swamp. Tottenham Hotspur versus Arsenal. And Champions League football is at stake. It's a big, big game for both sides who are desperate to return to Europe's premier competition. Before we go into the game itself and we talk about our teams and our lineups and, and the sides that we'd select for this, um, Mike, you text me just before we come online to say that there was a bit of an update with regards to Gabriel Jesus. And yeah. uh, and I know you're you're keeping one ear on Mikel Arteta's press conference at the moment. So give us the yeah. update. OK, so, um, yeah, just saw a tweet from Fabrizio Romano and he's had an exclusive with Jesus's agent. Um, so Jesus' agent has said um, we had talks with Arsenal about Gabriel Jesus. Uh, we like the project and it's a possibility we're discussing which all sounds very promising. Uh, he then goes on to say there are six more clubs interested in Gabriel, um, oh, but God. he's focused on f on the final games with Man City. We'll see. But for me, just looking into that a little bit, the fact that he's he likes the project is, for me, um, con it's, that's convincing for me because I think the one question I had about him was, you know, you're going from a team that's, you know, potentially going on to win and probably going to win four out of the last five Premier Leagues. Um, and then you'll go into that to somewhere that's very much a work in progress. So the fact that he's, you know, his agent said that he he likes what he's seeing at Arsenal is very promising to me. It is, isn't it? And and it gives you encouragement in that it's not just us that feel that this project is moving in the right direction. Like when you hear that other people looking from the outside in and granted, you know, he has a very good knowledge of Mikel Arteta from his time at Manchester City. But when you see yeah. stuff like that, it's encouraging, isn't it? We're not the only people that, think that this is moving in the right direction yeah 100 percent, and that's the thing that i think we would we've been concerned about is is the project heading in the right direction uh is it the right man at the helm and i think when you see stuff like this from obviously you know a, a, i wouldn't say prolific but a good premier league striker it, it is encouraging and people questioning whether we can still attract top talent well i think just something like this shows shows that we can but obviously the uh less positive thing for us is saying six more cl more clubs interested in jesus is a bit concerning i think i can't really i'm not i've not seen any other premier league clubs that have been that have been linked with him so we might be abroad um i could see him going somewhere like like seria definitely i think he'd fit in somewhere like that um but you have to hope that with champions league and the fact that we are a premier league club and you know we've got um his old assistant in arteta you'd have to think we'd be an attractive prospect so 
fingers crossed. I mean, he's been the one that I've wanted all along, Harry. I think talking about we strikers, um, I've I've backed him all along, and he's you know he's he's played a very important role for for Man City of late, um, and he's going to be key in them in them going to the title because that's what they're fighting for at the moment. So yeah, hundred percent. If they can get this deal done, I think they need to. Yeah, I, I think it would be a really positive signing. I think he's the kind of player that we could really, really do with. Um, and you, you feel like that adaptation period, although there's going to be some adaptation, right? Coming to a new club, playing under a different manager, slightly different mm. style, etc. You feel like knowing what he's done in the Premier League already and knowing that he's shown it, although I don't think that Premier League proven, as people call it, is the be and end all, mm. all the time. It is a big factor um, in terms of feeling more comfortable in the knowledge that you're not going to have to go through this six, seven month period where you're looking at the player and thinking, come on, mate, like sort of get yourself in gear. Um, yeah. And to be fair, Mike, you have for a while sort of championed the idea of going after Gabriel Jesus. Tell people yeah. a little bit again about why you think he'd be such a good fit. I think the the number one thing for me is obviously that Premier League experience and the fact that he's just turned 25 uh, he fits the right sort of profile of, of player that we've been targeting um, over the last sort of year or so with last summer in particular, you know, that sort of age range, um, twenty between like 20 and 24. I think that's what we're going for. That's what we want to build our team around. So he fits that. But the number one thing is a lot of the targets that were linked to us in January or last summer, like the likes of Lavic and uh, Isak and things like that. These are players that are young. They've got a lot of potential, but they're they're not proven like Isak I think has gone on to have a pretty unsuccessful season since January uh, since we were linked to him so if we would have you know splashed out 70 million however much they wanted would we have got a return on that investment would we now be looking at that at the end of the season and saying you know, did we rush into the striker um, position which is obviously is key I think that's the that's the difference between us becoming you know top four challengers to then going on and moving to the next level in terms of where the project's at that strike position is so important to get right. And I think he fits the the profile in terms of that. I think technically um, he's what we need. He's, he's, he's good on the ball. He's got a good touch. He's, um, he's, he's speedy as well. Um, I think he will be able to interlink the play. He's played on the right wing as well, which gives him a bit of versatility. So all round, I think he, he really does fit the bill. And we've seen, obviously, with Arteta going with Lacazette for the majority of the season, those technical attributes, that ability to drop deep and collect the ball, um, and and link play has been vital, and that's why he's been playing. Um, I think Eddie as well has added that to his game. Actually, he's he's really improved in that aspect. You know, dropping deeper to to get more involved, and not just sort of sticking up front as a poacher. And I think that's why he's been playing recently. So obviously, that is an important aspect. Obviously, the pressing style of football that Guardiola demands. He's got the work rate to it as well. So all around, I think he's the he's the the whole package. Yeah, and I'm behind that idea, uh, you know, and I think that it's a deal that can be done for a reasonable amount of money. It's not going to be cheap and it shouldn't be cheap, right? You, you don't get quality for cheap prices, not normally anyway, uh, not unless you shop in Audi. But uh, jokes aside, though, it's, um, you know, it, it's a deal that would make a lot of sense. And, and I think that knowing that Mikel Arteta already knows what he'd be getting in terms of his professionalism, in terms of how hard he works on a day to day basis, in terms of what his ceiling is. And and then he's been able to kind of use that knowledge to then decide if he is a good fit or not and then yeah. seemingly make the approach is obviously encouraging. And it feeds back into that whole thing again, doesn't it? That there is a plan at Arsenal, that we do know what we're doing. And although we might not see the results that we want instantly all of the time, there is a 
methodology in place that the people running the club really, really do believe in. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I'm just seeing some of this Arteta stuff coming through as well. People are talking about in the chat as well about Saka. Um, so I'm just getting this from the football.london blog, by the way. It's not actually direct quotes, but they, they tend to be pretty spot on. But um, yeah, so on team news, he said um, Thomas is still out. Obviously, Kieran out, of course, Kieran Tierney. And he yep. said on Ben White, Ben is a doubt. Um, we'll have to assess him. He's feeling much better. And Bukayo is the same. Um, so I think people are getting pretty worried uh, about that. But to me, I mean, just, just read in between the lines it sort of sounds like it plays into our our hands to have a few players that they may be unsure might or might not play yeah. um, because he was pretty confident on Ben White last week. I remember listening to his presser and he was saying uh, Ben White's going to be in contention as long as he comes through Friday's training, a training session unscathed. Um, yeah. And then he, he he wasn't in the squad. So I think that was just saving him for the for the derby, to be honest. I think one of the things he's played well, isn't he? Yeah. One of the things we've learned about Mikel Arteta is, is when it comes to press conferences and team news, you can't take his word as gospel because you know, there's been yeah. times where he said that somebody's going to be fit. I mean, how many weeks did he tell us that Tommy Asu was back in contention and he wasn't? Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't know that Ben White was going to miss the West Ham game, did we? We didn't hear about that in the press conference. Yeah. We didn't hear anything. And then... Uh, you know, you, you don't know exactly when these injuries occurred. That was a tight hamstring, we were told. We didn't know exactly when he felt that, when he sort of went down with that problem. But you just never know with Mikel Arteta. So although losing Bukayo Saka, if he is indeed unavailable, and Ben White would be a blow and would be far from ideal, I don't sit here right now at the time of recording on the Wednesday afternoon at, at one o'clock and and panic because i i don't no. think that we can take that as i say as gospel but yeah I and Saka, obviously from what we know he sort of it looked like he was taken off due to fatigue it didn't yeah. look like he'd picked up an injury it, it just looked like he'd I, I did see him sort of like there was a challenge where he sort of hobbled out of it a little bit and i was wondering has anything happened but then he carried on playing for another like 10 15 minutes so i assume it wasn't that um, and yeah, it didn't look like he picked up anything or, or you know, overstretched or anything like that, which could lead to an injury. So, yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like Arteta's keeping his, you know, cars close to his chest. Um, and it looks like he's going to be, I mean, fingers crossed, because obviously Saka is absolutely huge. I think we've shown that we can cope without Ben White um, because Rob Holden's played well, but Saka would be a massive blow if he was to, to drop yeah. out. Um, Stilton Avenger makes a great point. It says Arteta is usually focused on marginal gains and keeping stum about team selection is one of them. He is somebody mm -hmm. that has constantly demonstrated this sort of, you know, this obsession, if you like, with marginal gains, as 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 the listener says, you know, he, he always wants to gain an advantage in any way possible. I don't know if you saw that video with him and Jonas Eideval on the pitch after the contract announcement where they were talking about some of the mm. bits and pieces they do pre-game, uh, the need to prepare more than one game plan, et cetera, et cetera. So you do get the impression that this is someone who looks at the finer details in football and looks to use what he knows to his advantage. And I think that that's one of the things I've been impressed about when it comes to Mikel Arteta is that tactically for someone so wet behind the ears still, I think he gets a lot right. I think there's been a couple of times and it's undeniable that he's got it horribly wrong. But I think overall he's added a level of or a layer of extra detail to Arsenal's preparation and the way they approach games that we hadn't seen really 
um, for a long, long time prior. So he needs praise for that. He needs credit for that. Um, look, going into this game, it's it's a really weird one because obviously we have the luxury of knowing that we can lose the game and Spurs still don't overtake us. Now, my worry if we do lose the game is not what it does for Spurs necessarily, but it's what it does to us going into that game against Newcastle on Monday night. And needing to win that, I feel like it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like that's a completely different animal to knowing that we have got Spurs at a distance still. And even if we get a point there, we can then wrap it up the next sort of weekend at home to Everton, whatever. Um, What's your mindset going into this? Because I've seen a lot of people talking about how Mikel should approach this. My view is that Tottenham are a side who very much thrive on the transition. So to go there and go for them and be as bold as we have been and push the line right up to the halfway line in the way that we have before, um, that feels to me risky, especially if Ben White's not available and Rob Holding's in the back line. Mm. I think that we should go there and sit deep. And I wouldn't be against the idea of playing the system that we played against Chelsea, where it was a four at the back at times, but it shifted into a five when necessary. What's your mindset? How would you approach it? What would you be saying to the players if you were Mikel Arteta going into this game? Yeah, I mean, number one thing, I think sort of mentality and uh, and hunger and desire should absolutely be there from the first minute because when has there been a North London derby where so much is at stake? I can't really remember, you know, but it was it was back in the sort of old days we talk about when Arsenal were fighting for titles and, and we play Spurs and like near the end of the season and it, and it was a huge sort of occasion. But in recent seasons when we've we've both been pretty average, Spurs and Arsenal, there's not really been that much on the line. But this game there is so much to play for. And you know, if you say to a player look, you can beat Spurs and you can secure Champions League football for next season in one game. I don't think it really gets better than that for a footballer in terms of motivation. Um, in When we're talking about the setup, Harry, I very much think that we would be naive to go in and try and try and go and attack them from the first minute because we've seen what, what they can do. Teams much better than us have lost to them. They obviously lost against, they beat Man City home and away. And Man City are probably one of the best teams in Europe right now. So for us to try and think that we're better than Man City, essentially, and that we can, you know, go in and do their game plan better than they did it, I think would be silly. I think what we have to do is knowing that uh, a defeat is obviously a bad result, but would not capitulate our season. Um, but also knowing that a win could you know, secure our Champions League football, I think you almost have to be a little bit more cautious than than you would be. Um, and if it goes wrong, obviously you, you do have that buffer of of having the the point the point advantage, but you really want to be able to grind out a win in that game and just see it through. And I've, I feel like if you do go really risky, attack them and then get caught, they could they could destroy us. Like they really could. And then what does that do to the mentality? I think that, and as you say, I think that would really affect us going forward because you've just lost, you've just had the opportunity to wrap up top four and then you've blown it and then you have to go again against Newcastle, which is not going to be an easy game. And then again against Everton, who who could still be fighting for their, for their lives in the Premier League. So for me, what I would do is, yeah, deploy a similar system, four slash five, um, try and soak up the pressure because I think with... Spurs with the ball, they don't really impress me. I, I don't really see if we operate a low block with 
Xhaka and, and Elneny, you know, really sitting deep. We've got our, our wingers, Saka and, and Martinelli, Smith or whoever it is, tracking back. And we form that sort of solid base. I don't really see how they'll be able to to sort of break us, break us down because that's the games this season that they've struggled in most where they've had to break low blocks. So why not go and do that if it's, if it's worked for other teams? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because as I say, I've just been talking about how Mikel Arteta for me looks at the finer details and has been actually overall quite good at that in terms of the bigger picture and helping us progress and move forward as a team off the back of that. But if he was to go there and be really bold and really brave and almost a bit naive and a bit stupid in his approach, I'd be really disappointed because it's it's clear and obvious when you watch Tottenham that they want to play on the transition. I mean, you ask them to break down a low block and that's where their problems are. That's where they struggle. And that's not to say that if you go there with that approach that you're definitely going to keep a clean sheet. They've got some top quality operators, protect, particularly sorry in those front areas. So there's no guarantee that you go there and you shut them out if you sit deep, if you have a low block. But what I worry about when you go too negative is that sometimes when you then concede a goal, it's really difficult to switch that mindset mm-hmm. and to almost change modes and, and start going for them. And and that is, you know, I know, look, as I say, I know if we get beat, it's not the end of the world. It really, really isn't. We'd have to better. To- we don't even have to win both games. We just have to better Tottenham's results going into the last couple of games. And we, we're over the line. But I mean, as you said, what bigger motivation is there for this group of players than to go to Spurs and beat them on their own patch and wrap up Champions League football on their own ground? I mean, that has got to be, you know, in terms of motivation, that's got to be the pinnacle. Like, what more could you possibly ask for? So uh, I think that the mindset has to be to go out and win, but it has to be sensible as well in the way that we try and achieve that. I think the first 15 minutes of the game, for example, are key. You know, you go there, you concede early, you're in trouble. You know, the the, the stadium lift. If you go there and you frustrate them for 15, 20 minutes, and then that anxiety starts kicking in within the stadium. We've all seen it at the Emirates over the years. It does happen. People start to get a little bit anxious. The pressure then grows and builds on them because of their need to win this game. So I think the the approach has got to be to frustrate, but with the end goal of of winning the game. You can't afford Mm. to get caught in two minds of saying, or do we push on and try and win this game? Or do we just sit back and hope for the draw? Like that yeah. middle ground mentally is the most dangerous place that you can get to, I think, as a footballer. So having clarity is is important. We've got we've got to think about what their approach is going to be as well, Harry, because you know, I know that Conte has played, he he does have this one style of football and, and he sticks to it. But you have to think they're at home and it's the North London derby. Are they really going to stick ten men behind the ball from from minute one? And is that like imagine you? Oh, I was going to say it's horrible, but imagine you're a Spurs fan um, for a minute. I'll I can't. Give, I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I would say, imagine you're okay. Imagine you're a fan in your own ground and you're watching your team play your rivals. Would you really? Would you really want to see them go and sit back, stick ten men behind the ball, and and, and hope to hit them on the counter? I mean, I, I can't imagine as a fan being happy with, with my team doing that. Um, so maybe the sort of game plan will be slightly adjusted to, you know, it, with, with a view that, that you're playing at home. Because I think the, 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 the standout thing in these North London derbies is that in the last few years, I think it, it goes back to 2014. I heard a stat today that the home team has won in the league in the North London derby 
going all the way back to, to 2014 when, when Rosicki scored uh, at the mm. lane. So home advantage is huge. And obviously that, that plays a role. So I do wonder if he would sort of think, okay, you know, this is a, this is a massive game. We need to try and be on the front foot because they need to win. We don't really need to win, but they do. Yeah, for sure. Look, let's, um, let's look at how we might line up and how we'd like to see the team line up. And Mike, you sent me your lineup a little bit earlier on today, which yeah. I'll share on the screen for our YouTube viewers. But of course, um, we've heard that Ben White and Bukayo Saka are doubts. Now, again, I'm not 100% convinced that that is the case, but that's what Mikel Arteta has told us. So we've got to bear that in mind. So let me sort of pick your brains a little bit on this 11. So mm. you've put Tommy Asu back at right back as yeah. opposed to to Cedric and him playing on the left, like what we saw at the weekend. Yeah. Is that with Son in mind? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think if you're going to stick Son against anyone, it's got to be Tomiyasu. I think he is an unbelievable one-on-one -on -one defender. Like even when he's been coming back from injury, the, the way that he's sort of handled things, even though he's probably not entirely fit, he's just so, like he, he, he doesn't give you an inch essentially. And I was watching... Um, I was, was watching Virgil van Dijk um, against against Aston Villa and against Philip Coutinho. And Coutinho had nutmegged him already, but it was just a pure fear factor that van Dijk was galloping back and was going to eat you up. And he just like stumbled over the ball. Um, and for me, like that fear factor is is so big that when, when you know that a player um, excels in one-on-one -on -one defending and has that sort of stature, it gets into your head. So... Like human song going up against Nuno Tavares would absolutely rip him to shreds. Like there's just there's no contest there against Cedric as well. I think he'd he'd really fancy his chances. But against Tomiyasu, I think he he would have watched him and obviously and Conte would tell him, you know, that this this guy's not easy. He's not gonna he's not gonna give you an easy time. He's gonna battle you. He's he's strong, he's he's fast, he's you know, he's committed to getting ta to tackles in. He's by trade a centre back, so this this is his bag defending. He's not really someone that's going to go forward. So I think that puts the fear factor into human son's head and says, you know, I'm not going to have an easy ride because we've, we've had it so many times, you know, against, uh, I think last season, was it, where Son uh, scored scored a banger or was it the game before or, or something? Or the game was properly stretched and, you know, obviously it wasn't Tommy Asu at right back and it was just so easy. Um, so, yeah, I would stick Tommy Asu there to take care of Son because we think that's where he's going to play. He usually plays off the, off the left. And then... Cedric at left back, it's not ideal, Harry, but it's better than Nuno Tavares because I just can't trust him. Unfortunately, I just I think in a game like this, you don't want someone that could potentially throw away the game for you. And I think that's what almost happened to us against Man United. There was you know a few potential fouls in around the box with Antti Langa that 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 could have been a penalty early on it was like very sort of like slapdash defending and then there was the handball and you know there was a period of about 10-15 minutes where he couldn't even pass five yards um you don't want that in a sort of pressure cooker environment in a in the north london derby that is not what you want so just going for for the guy who's the most experienced would be cedric i think what it does obviously is weakens us down the left because we don't have that attacking impetus we don't have someone that will be able to to bomb on like kieran tierney does but I think you're getting a bit of experience in there. And obviously Cedric has played at left back before. I think last season when Tinney was injured, he did play there. So yeah, not ideal, but I think in the circumstances, that's what I'd do defence-wise. I think looking at the midfield, I think that's that's obvious, right? I think we'd, we'd all go for that same midfield based on what's available to us. Um, 
you've gone with uh, Saka, providing he's available, and Ketia yeah. and Emil Smith Rowe. Just talk to me a little bit about mm. why you've gone Smith Rowe over Martinelli. Um, because I think that even though what I was saying earlier about Spurs need to win, I think they will see possession completely. And I think if we have a lot of possession, what you want more so is is Emil Smith Rowe more than Martinelli. Because Martinelli can be explosive and he can attack teams um, sort of more on the front foot. But I feel like he's more effective against teams that are going to push up a bit higher when there's a bit more space in behind, when he can sort of skin um, a a player or two. And I feel like Smith Rowe would would add more in in terms of the build-up play that we'd need to to break down a a deep defence. I think Martinelli is fantastic and he'd be a great super sub, but... Considering the sort of challenge that that we're gonna we're gonna face, I think Smith Rowe might be the better option. Just looking at that, I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I'm slightly questioning myself because I'm thinking, where's the width on that left hand side? Um, that does concern me a bit. Going with this sort of setup, I think if you were to swap in Martinelli, you would have that he could hug the touchline and just offer yeah. a bit more, you know, a bit more danger in that sense. But I, I'm just thinking if we do have the ball, the majority of the ball. Smith Rowe is better on the ball. So I think that's what was my thinking with that. But you could definitely argue Martinelli as well. Cool. So let me tweak it a little bit um, for the 11 that I would pick um, because there are a few uh, differences. So let me let me mess around with this a little bit, right? So I don't want to see Cedric in the starting lineup. I don't want to see Nuno Tavares in the starting lineup as well. If indeed um, Ben White is out, then I think that I'd probably go... Um, with this same back line as you, but with holding alongside Gabriel instead. But let's assume that Ben White is okay, because there is a part of me that feels that there are some mind games being played here. Yeah. In which case, I'm going to chop this up a little bit and I'm going to change this. So I am going to put Rob Holding in the back line as well. And I am going to stick, and I know this this sounds a little bit crazy, um, I am going to stick Ben White out at right back. I'm going to put Tommy Asu at left back and then I'm going to put Holding and Gabriel like that, hmm. right? But my idea behind this is that when we've got the ball, it's no longer that, okay? It becomes, I want White to step a little bit further forward and then I want it to be a back three like this. So we've got that, that put Holding in the middle, Gabriel on the left of it and Tommy Asu. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, right? Because there's a lot of shifting. There's a lot of changing. Maybe if you want to do it the other way, you stick white in the middle and you push Gabriel slightly left. I'm not really sure of the sort of workings out of this, but I feel like we need to do something that has us shifting between a back four and a back five when necessary. And because of my lack of trust in Cedric or Tavares defensively against Mm. the likes of Hume Son, I feel like I want my best defenders on the pitch. And I, I don't know if that works. I, this is just kind of my initial thoughts, my initial feelings. Mm. Um, you know, the other thing that you could potentially do is that you could sacrifice um, one of the forward players and you could put Cedric in there as well. So let's just say, for example, I'm going to take out Emil Smith-Rowe because I think there's been question marks about Emil Smith-Rowe lately as well. Um, you know, he hasn't been at his best, in which case then I'd do something a bit more like this. Um, so it would be Tommy Asu on the right side of a back five, Cedric on the left. And and again, it's only Tommy Asu on the right because of the th- son threat. But knowing that he's got White 
just behind him, inside him to cover with Holding and Gabriel. And I'd play a little bit more like a 5-4-1 sort of thing, which yeah. we've seen Arteta revert to sometimes when we've gone down yeah. to 10 men. Um, I think that Cedric would would have protection from Odegaard, who would do the work crate. He would do the running. I, I don't think that he'd get um, as much time on the ball and the, the opportunity to get forward and and make things happen. I'm, I'm talking my way through this as I'm thinking about it, but this is for me probably how I would approach this game. So Odegaard on the left, because he would protect Cedric, but even if he doesn't protect him to the level that you need, you've got that additional cover from Gabriel. Like you, I don't trust Nuno Tavares. Don't want him anywhere near the starting 11. I'm sorry. No. Um, I just don't. Uh, but this is the way I would line up. So just okay. for those listening on audio, Ramsdale in goal. I'd go with a back five of Tomiyasu, White, Holding, Gabriel and Cedric. Again, assuming that White is fit. I'd go with Xhaka and Elneny just in front of them. And then I'd go with kind of like a front three of Odegaard and Saka with Enketia up top. But asking Odegaard and Saka when we are defending to just tuck in and be that little bit more narrow and help us out in terms of our defensive shape. So that's the way I would go. Um, any sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, my one worry with that would be is, and, you know, it's not dissimilar to, to my own team in the sense that your wingbacks are not the most athletic uh, in terms of going forward. Um, you know, Tommy Asu is fantastic, but I f- I, he's not a wingback that's going to run up and down all game. He's sort of someone who who can do a job de- like going forward, but he's he's obviously strength is is uh, defensively. And then Cedric, I have put him at left back, but I'm just not sure in terms of he's he's overlapping. And you know, every time he's going to want to cross, he's gonna he's gonna want to cut back in. But ultimately, we're going with this because we don't have Tierney and we don't have um, we don't have Thomas Party. So this is our very much you know our our system before. Um, Tierney got injured was so much reliant on that back four but with Tomiyasu basically playing as a centre-back that it's had to shift so much and I think that's what he wanted from Tavares and if Tavares was in better form I've no doubt they'd start this game because he'd do the exact same thing he'd, he'd give Tierney's role to Tavares but he's just in nowhere near the the sort of form to to be trusted in this sort of game um, but I do trust this team to, to, to be able to create chances because we've we've seen it um, I, I trust them to have the energy, the desire, the commitment. Um, I do. I, I do. Just looking at that sort of back three, I really trust Gabriel holding and White. And I think if we are to to go a bit more defensive, I think this would be this would be the team that he has to play. But it's it's going forward with this sort of back five. Like you, you look at that. You look at El Neni and Xhaka, and you know they're not they're not really creators. And pushing out Odegaard to the wing that does sort of dim his sort of creative output a little bit. Um, I know he would obviously roam a little bit, but then you don't have a sort of left winger there, do you? You're relying on Cedric to to make those runs. So I think there's there's sort of problems with with both both sets of teams, both of our teams. Um, but the the one positive thing is that you know Eddie gets into both, which is great to see because it was Lacazette for the whole season. But Eddie is just completely for me just transformed himself and just really surprised me. So yeah, fair play, and I think he's getting into everyone's team, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Let's um let's go over to the comments in just a second and get some of you guys' thoughts on our team's elections and, and, and what you think is the best way to set up. Look, we're going to take a very, very short pause uh, and we'll be back in just a second. 
Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, part two in this preview show ahead of the big North London derby. We've been debating back and forth. How should Arsenal set up? And I saw a really good comment from, um, uh, where is it? Hold on a second. Uh, Halo says, if both teams go defensive, who's going to attack? Well, I'm happy for the game to just play out as a miserable nil-nil board draw. I'd be more than happy with that because it means that we take that advantage of four points into the final couple of games of the season. And uh, from there, you'd yeah. think that not even we could um, could mess that up, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, just sort of, I know sort of a lot of the concerns in the chat are that, you know, we're, we're going to invite pressure and, you know, we're not going to be able to get out. And I just think, though, with having Eddie and Ketia up front, we can get out. We can yeah. get out a lot better than we could have got out with Lacazette up top because it's very easy now or or certainly more, you know, possible for Arsenal to do, um, you know, let me just find my little pen thing, something like this, you know, where they just launch a ball into that channel and have him run it. You could do it from this side. You know, if you've got White particularly in the back line, there's no reason he can't play balls over the top. Um, you know, Jack has got that range of passing as well. Odegaard, just because I've sort of sat him slightly to the left, doesn't mean that... He's not going to be able to get on the ball at certain points and play early passes in behind. I think whatever you say about this game, at some point, no matter how much they want to play on the transition, at some point, Tottenham Hotspur will have to come out and attack Arsenal because they need the three points. So yeah. if we do get through the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, first half without conceding a goal, the onus isn't on us to go out there and be aggressive. The onus is on them. And I really do think with the likes of Saka, and in Ketia, we now have that ability to be a little bit more direct than going behind. Yeah. I understand why people are worried about sort of changing things up and taking a risk in the sense of doing something that hasn't been natural to us in recent weeks. But I don't know about you, Mike, but watching the recent games, I mean, Chelsea away, I thought defensively in the first half, we were shocking. We were really bad. Man United... I thought we were really bad defensively in large periods of that. And I don't think that West Ham was really a bad defensive display. And I don't think that Leeds was, but you never felt totally comfortable, did you? Because of the no. players that we've got missing. So I think that the back five just, it makes me feel a little bit better. Mm. And I'm certainly not someone that if Mikel Arteta does this and it fails, will be coming out and caning the manager. Because I think that, this is probably the most sensible approach. Let's take some of the comments um, and some of people's thoughts and we'll, we'll respond to some of them um, as we go as well. Um, uh, Matres says, let's not do this five at the back, inviting pressure thing. Jid says, I get the apprehension when it comes to some players, but this is becoming a starting 11 of fan favourites more than anything. But I, I'm not really sure who you're referring to, mate. Let us know in the comments because I don't think it's, agenda driven to say that Nuno Tavares shouldn't probably can't be trusted in a game like this because he's shown us for weeks now that he's not quite defensively at, at the level. Would you agree with that, Mike? Well, yeah, and he didn't play against Leeds. So, you know, I think if you were trying to sort of play him back into form, you would play him against Leeds because he's mm. just come through that after West Ham. I think he was he was OK, but against United, he was awful. And if you're trying to play him back into a bit of form, you start him. So, no, I think what Arteta was doing was basically testing the waters, seeing how different players would perform in different positions and, and trying Tomiyasu at, at left back. And it was a success. He, he did really well. He 
he didn't give he didn't give Rafinha an inch. Rafinha was awful and ended up getting so frustrated that he almost got himself sent off um, when when Luke Aylin did that horrendous challenge. So if, if anything, I think what Arteta has been doing is is sort of you know testing testing his side and and experimenting to so that he can almost get. I'm not saying get Tavares out of the side, but see how he can cope without that attacking fullback or that that attacking wingback. With Tavares, would you consider playing him if we do go with the back five? Do you feel like that gives sufficient protection to him? It's going to sound like I, I really don't like, I really hate him. I don't, but no, I wouldn't. I honestly, it's not even about putting him at, at left back, even at wing back. Harry, I just think I wouldn't completely trust him. And if you're talking about like getting the best of his, his attacking you know, I think he's 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 good in terms of he can offer that burst forward. But I have seen on a few occasions where he's been playing against players who aren't particularly like quick or strong, and he's not been able to get around them by pushing the ball forward. He, he's done it on a few occasions. He did it against against West Ham to get us up the pitch. I remember. Um, but yeah, he's not been that sort of explosive player that that I really thought he was or that he was earlier in the season. So if that's a confidence thing, I'm not sure. And then when you're talking about like delivery in the final third, I don't think it's that that fantastic either. So then you have to question what are we actually getting out of him at at wing back going forward to make up for his defensive frailties. I think w- with him it is a hundred percent a confidence thing. So to almost put him in that that North London derby environment um, you know, where he's, where he's not played before, I think will be a huge risk because he could, if anything, play himself out of the game by, you know, a few loose passes and then the, the crowd are on his back or, or the fans and then it could go south very quickly. So I wouldn't even put him in that situation where he has the capability to sort of have a shocker because of what it could do to him and what it could do to us. For sure. Um, I've seen some people sort of questioning the decision that we both sort of made when naming our teams to play Tommy Asu on the right instead of on the left, like he did at the weekend. Let me just be clear. That is because of where we expect Hume Son to play. That's the reason yeah. for that. Against anybody else, probably, I would play him on the left because I thought he actually looked quite comfortable there. And I thought that, you know, that that means that you don't unsettle Cedric too much. So I think that that would make sense any other time, just not against Hume Son, who I think would eat. Cedric Suarez alive. Um, some people suggesting that Bukayo Saka, if available, should play left wing back. I'm really, really reluctant to kind of go back in time and move Bukayo Saka from the right-sided winger that he's become to the left wing back that he started out as. Because I think while he'd done a great job there, while he was learning and developing, for me, he's so important to us going forward. And he's become yeah. such a talisman. To take him out of that position, I think, sends the wrong message. What's your take on that? I think, what like, why would you take away your best sort of attacking outlet uh, to sort of to sort of patch a hole in defence and you know wing back? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I think if we're going to win this game, Saka will be absolutely crucial. Um, and let's not forget, like we've talked about our deficiencies, but let's talk about Spurs as well. They're both without their. Their first choice wing backs, Regulon and um and Matt Doherty are both out. Um, so they're gonna probably be playing Emerson Royale, who for me is very shoddy, and um and Ryan Sessignon, who's who's quite inexperienced or at left wing back. So you're you're gonna want Saka in there to to you know really go past players and, and put them under the cosh. So if you take him out, 
of that position. Who else is going to do that? You, you're talking about Pepe or Martinelli or who do, who else would they think that we're going to play on the right? I'm not really sure. Um, especially because what they're going to end up doing as well is effectively playing like a like a back six or seven. And you're going to have two players constantly on Saka. I mean, that's that's the kind of guy that you want to sort of be able to take on two players. That like I don't. There's no one else in our team that can really do that. I think so. Yeah, I would definitely 100% keep him at, at right wing. I think it's his best position. Yeah, me too. Me too. Look, let's get some of your questions in for the live uh, for live for the last sort of ten minutes or so of the show, and we'll work our way through as many of those as we possibly can. Uh, please pop a cue at the start of your question; it just makes it much easier for me to spot them in the chat box. Also, if you haven't done so already, hit the like button. Uh, please do because we have nearly 400 of you watching us live at the moment, but we've only got 69 likes on the board, which isn't acceptable. Let's get it up to as close to uh, 150 as we possibly can between now and the end of the stream. Um, also, Mike, while we're waiting for a couple of questions to come in, just remind people mm. um, where they can follow you, how they can um, keep up to date with the excellent work that you're doing. Yeah, so on Twitter, it's uh, Mike underscore Stavru, and on Instagram, it's uh, Mike underscore Stavru underscore just made a new Instagram account. Um, my barbers, my barbers followed me, um, which is a <laughs> that's a big seal of approval. I, I was talking to him the other day, and he was saying that um, wow. he cuts Martin Odegaard's hair now. Ooh. So, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to extract some information, you know, whatever sort of thing he can throw in there about you know potential targets. Or I know he's not going to give up much to his barber, but you never know. <laughs> he might feel so relaxed that he's like, ah, uh, you know. This, this is never going to see the light of day. I always think when I when I think of the places on earth where the most shit is spoken, barber shops are right up there for me, 100%. right up there. Like, uh, like they just all of them, it, and it's not like being horrible to any one particular barber. They just all do it. You go into a barber shop, you hear all this nonsense talk, especially about football. And you know, one thing I get annoyed with, not annoyed, that's the wrong term. The one thing that drives me a little bit crazy is that because of my job, everybody's like, oh, you know, what what what's happening at Arsenal this summer? Who are we signing? How much have we got to spend? <laughs> it's like, I don't ever claim to be in the know. Like, that's not me. Like, you know, I, I've once or twice I've said something that I've sort of been been told, but I, I'm not someone that that walks around pretending to be an ITK, pretends to have information. Yeah. And but people assume that of me because of yeah, my job. Yeah. And there's nowhere worse than in the barbers when I go in for a haircut. I try and go in the early morning now so that there's nobody yeah. else there so that they don't drive me mad. Um, but yeah, is what it is. Uh, look, let's um, let's take some of these questions then because there's a few uh, coming in. Uh, FM says, are you ready for all the negativity if we do lose tomorrow? Get ready for all the Arteta out and we're not good enough. Shouldn't have let Aubameyang go comments. I have been you know, dreading this this week. This is what I'm most worried about. As I say, we lose the game tomorrow. Yes, it's not ideal. And Spurs close the gap on us and it really puts pressure on us going into the last couple of games of the season. But the negativity that comes off the back of a result that's a negative one is probably more hurting for me than than the actual points difference. I, I really do believe that because it's just like we finally have a fan base that for the most part mm. is united and is singing from their same hymn sheet and recognises that we're moving in the right direction. And every time we do lose a game or drop points, it just gives those people an excuse to come out from under their rocks again and start. 
it's another reason why I'm desperate for this Arsenal side. Even though I've said all season that Champions League was at the absolute maximum we mm. could achieve, that it was unlikely that if we did it, it would be an amazing season. It's the reason that I'll be disappointed if we don't get it is because of what we're going to endure from those who have been saying anything less than Champions League is a failure. Do, it will come, won't it, if we lose tomorrow? This this negativity and toxicity, it will resurface, won't it? Yeah, of course it will. But I think a lot of these people that are so negative about about Arsenal and like it, they they make it their sole purpose. You know, you know the people that have got like Arteta out Twitter accounts, like people like that. <laughs> are they are they even really Arsenal fans? Are they are they if they are, are they real Arsenal fans? I'm, I really do question it on social media. I think it's such a a different view like we, we were t- i was saying last time on the show that when that when we went to uh to the live event done by um hybrid squad a few weeks ago we meet meeting fans and you know they all just seem so level-headed and so like in tune and it's like wait you read like some of the, some These of the comments online exist. yeah i know it's like it's like it's nothing like that you just think everything's like either you love arteta or you hate arteta you know you want him to sign a 10-year contract or you want him to out immediately there's, there, there is people in between. Um, so I think sometimes you've got to sort of like really weigh up how real, how authentic are, are some of these opinions online. Is it just to attract attention and, and stuff like that? But it will 100% happen if we lose because, you know, it will be like we've thrown it away. We've been in the driving seat twice. We've lost to our rivals. Um, Arteta can't even secure top four when, you know, we're four points with three games to go. Of course it will surface, of course it will. But I just think like as, as we've said all along, like Champions League was never our objective. Um, so if we don't get it, it will be heartbreaking. But you know, when you're just so close now, I think that's that's the thing for me. It's like you can almost taste it. No, I've I've had like daydreams where I've like just heard the Champions League music and we just... are the there you go. Yeah, <laughs> literally, mate. Like that's that that's what it's been like for me because you can almost imagine. And I feel like we've been through like such tumultuous times this season, losing the first three games of the season, um, and then losing those three games against Palace, Brighton, and and Southampton. That really, really hurt because we thought we were, you know, going to do it, and then we got held back. But then, you know, I was I was speaking to someone the other day, and we were talking about like um, we did our, our predictions for the last ten games of the season. I mean, how horrifically wrong were they? I I had I had us beaten well I had us draw into Palace but I had us beaten Brighton and Southampton comfortably and then we didn't so you know football is so so hard yeah. to predict isn't it ultimately it is but me my my opinion is not going to change if if we lose tomorrow or not I'm still back in Arteta I'm back in the process and I, I think if if anything if anyone is supremely negative about Arteta you just have to say well he's just signed a new contract so whether or not you are behind him. The ball clearly are, um, so your opinion doesn't really matter. Ultimately, it, it doesn't. You can you can shout and scream as much as you want, but as long as the owners and the board and everyone's backing Arteta, then he'll continue to stay in this job, and you might yeah. as well just support the team. Ultimately, yeah, exactly that. And um, you know, and and to put into context, like sort of how, and I know it was said in jest, but if you watch the bit I did on Sky Sports News earlier today, um. One of the comments leading into one of the questions I was asked was, you Arsenal fans are a fickle bunch, you know, planes over stadiums and Unai Emery out and all of this. And and I I kind of like, I, I bit back a little bit. I was, I was a bit like, well, no, that's not all Arsenal fans. Um, you know, that is a small 
but very, very loud minority. Mm. And and that drives me mad that we've got, and that's why I'm loving the, the positivity around the football club at the moment yeah. and why I'm so desperate for us to succeed in getting in back into the Champions League so that the few naysayers that remain can be silenced and we can get on with it and we can look ahead to what's going to be an important summer and hopefully a, a good season next season. Let's take a couple more questions. Uh, Jared says, uh, would you keep holding Anel Nenny beyond this season if it means we go for a big striker? I've made it clear I'd keep both of them as squad players if they're happy to continue in those roles. Mike, would you keep the pair? Yeah, 100%. I caught a bit of... Um a bit of stick on Twitter earlier this week because I said, um, you know, everyone's going mental about Elneny, but I think we already knew that he had this in his locker. I think this was clear what he could do in a specific role in big games because he's done it before. I've seen him do it at Old Trafford. Him and Party, you know, were unbelievable when we beat United. So for me, it wasn't a surprise. And I said, you know, I think a lot of like, decent level Premier League midfielders could do the job that he's doing and people got quite upset about that and you know apparently he's not respecting and stuff like that but I think the job that he's doing is in the role is so like I don't want to say like simple but in it, it is it's, it's simple but effective he he plays as a holding number six he, it's, his passing is not over elaborate he works hard he's committed he's got energy which I think a lot of Premier League mid midfielders should be able to do um does that mean that that I don't want him to stay? No, like I think he's I think he should stay, but he's got to stay with the proviso that he's our fourth choice midfielder, and he doesn't mind sitting on the bench for like ninety percent of the season. And as long as he's happy with that, I'm happy to give him a one or two years contract. But I don't think we should be sort of going overboard and saying El Nenny is the answer because clearly he's not because he's not played this season. So I don't really yeah. get that when fans are just so like reactionary. They've seen him. He's he's been brilliant. I'm not taking away. I'm he's been brilliant the last few games and he's been vital. But I think someone suggested that he's like turned our season on his head or something, and I don't really think that's true. No, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, we've got a comment here going back to the Tavares thing because the defense has been the real point of debate, mm -hmm. hasn't it, in terms of how we should line up against Spurs in this huge, crucial North London derby. Harry, ever asked yourself why Tavares was so good when Tierney was out? It was Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu allows him to overlap. And as soon as Tomiyasu got injured, his game went down. Yeah, I think it's important to note that he can be facilitated a lot better with Tomiyasu at right back than with Cedric. I, I completely agree with that. And I'm pretty sure I said that, you know, when his form first started dipping, that, you know, when Tomiyasu's in the side, you can probably get away with it a little bit, but you can't right now. Um, and, and I agree. But this is not the game to be testing it again. This is not the game to say, oh, you know what, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. No, you've got to do what you believe to be the smartest thing and the safest thing going into a game that is a must not lose. That's what this is. It's a must not lose. Um, so that's that's how I see it. A um, couple of people sort of raising, and this is a great point from Jay Sayers, and Tom Canton actually brought this to my attention a few weeks ago. I wasn't even aware of this. This is the great Conte took over Spurs two points behind Arsenal. And six months later, and having bought players in the January window, he's now four points behind. So it does show that I'm not saying that Conte is not a great manager. He's fantastic. I, In fact, I wrote a piece before he joined Tottenham on 90min.com where I said pound for pound to use a boxing phrase. He is the best manager in world football right now. I, I genuinely believe he's that good in terms of turning things around and doing it quickly. But this just goes to show and proves that it's not just about the manager 
The manager plays a part, yeah. of course, and a big part. But if you haven't got the quality, if you haven't got the right players, if they don't give you the commitment, if they don't apply themselves in the way that they need to, it means very, very little. So that that kind of backs up that point. Let's see what else we've got. Let's pick up a couple more um, because I have got a shoot. Um, I'm on TalkSport 2 this afternoon from 4 to 6, so tune into that. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about the North London derby as well as some of the games uh, taking place tonight as well. I'm just trying to pick up a couple of questions that aren't really related to anything that we've discussed already. Um, Halo says, if Arsenal are to do a job in the Champions League next season, can Arsenal continue their youth transfer policy? Isn't it time wasted to buy young players that need time before they hit their levels? There's got to be a balance in the policy, is there not, Mike? Yeah, 100%. And that's why you keep players like Elneny and Holding because I think they know that they're not, you know, going to be starting every week but they're happy to to do that rotational job and offer the experience that um that they can bring in so that you can have the other players around them that can that can learn from them and and play alongside them to offer them support and allow them to thrive so i think um yeah i think while obviously the recruitment policy is is youth based i think still we can make a few smart purchases here and there i don't see why not and like someone like Gabriel Jesus, I know he's still in that profile of younger player, but he's he's twenty five. You know, he's not he's not young, um, and he's sort of hitting his peak. So I think that's the sort of signing that that will take us further. I don't think we're going to be, I don't think you're going to see the same window essentially that you saw last year, this year. I think this year will be more of a focus on on quality, um, and quality that's ready to come into the team and and thrive. Because I think we took our risks last year and that's paid off. So now it's time to add top up that you know sort of top class top class quality to add yeah completely agree look we are going to leave it there because we are really really pushed for time but thank you all uh so so much for tuning in as always uh don't forget talk sport 2 4 till 6 p.m with adi oladipo we'll be talking about the north london derby i'm sure as well as looking ahead to some of the big big games coming up in the premier league this evening come and join us on that give mike a follow on social media i'll leave his handle in the description uh, below and we'll be back very very soon with more until next time take care of yourselves and come on you gunners i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.